This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds. I listen to it on my way like 45 minutes before we're, I, you know, we're about to play. It's something that sitting in the car, you know, getting ready to you know, arrive at the venue, it's something that kind of gets me going. It's like part of like an order of tracks that I go through, you know, like that usually just still resonate in the same and very similar way that uh, as per what I was trying to explain, you know, from when I was, you know, soon, you know, around the era when I met Paul and so forth, it's how it hits that same chord, that same sort of emotional chord in me, you know. This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Since their 2002 debut full-length, Turn On The Bright Lights, New York City's Interpol has cast a distinctive image in the world of indie rock music. Sartorially meticulous and fashion-forward, the band takes as their inspiration guitar rock from the late 1970s and early 80s, including the Chameleons, the Smiths, and Joy Division. Guitarist and founding member Daniel Kessler has played a significant role in crafting the band's sound, including on their most recent Matador Records release, The Other Side of Make Believe. The first song Kessler chose as being formative for him was Fugazi's Public Witness Program. Yeah, the first song would be Fugazi's Public Witness Program. I mean, in general, Fugazi as a band had a gigantic influence on me as personally in my life, and then also certainly as me as a musician, and, and even to the degree of, I think, it's, uh, the mind frame of when I started writing songs, I would be a little bit more geared towards the, what would become Interpol. Um, so I, yeah, Public Witness Program was actually a song from the record In on the Kill Taker, which I just remember being actually in college and I was just really obsessed with the record and I was just you know like every day I could never tire of it there was never too much of listening to it certainly a record I would just put on my headphones and just walk down the street and feel sort of like in a different world and um 
And then also the structure, I mean, even just, and as a musician, there's something about it. It's a, it's a short piece of music, but there, it's also a very full piece of music. It's complete. There's like an intro, there's a verse, there's a chorus, he goes back to a verse, and then it takes some unexpected turns. And I just was, you know, it took me, and I was like, as a kid, I was a hardcore kid. And here I am hearing this band that has actually, that came from sort of that sort of world, but then it's, you know, the, the, this band itself is uh, taking on a new, you know, going into new directions and new kind of, to my brain, uncharted territories. And I started, you know, it started like dissecting, what are they doing? How are they getting away this piece of music? What are they, you know, they, they're doing so much, they're doing so much with less. And um, I became just, and then they're also doing things that you didn't hear very often and, and from this world, like hand claps and stuff like that. And all at the same time, being very melodic and very powerful and very urgent. And uh, there's something about that that just sort of transformed me as a musician, as a writer. And I just kind of, and it allowed me to sort of just be like, okay, well, there's different ways that you can skin this. And it's not about technical ability as much as sensibility. And that had a profound, and that actually even towards even the formation of Interpol, that sort of really, really influenced me in the sense that it made me think, okay, I hope I just, you know, it's less about, uh, uh, you know, how good of a musician you are. It's more due with your personality, how you think about things, how you approach things, you know, like how you, you know, it's just something being a bit different and having a different way of looking at something and doing less is more, is more important than how quickly you can shred on the guitar, or how great of a drummer you are. That stuff is useless unless someone is actually, you know, has, has interesting ideas, interesting thoughts, maybe interesting aesthetics and so forth. And, uh, and that put me a little bit on a mission to try to find, you know, like-minded individuals. And, and uh, um, but this song in particular, I always think about actually when I'm in, it's the reason I was in, in, in uh, around the time that I met Paul, even my, my bandmate, because uh, I was just, we were in, I was in Paris actually that summer, seeing my brothers living there and going to like some university programs. And Paul was doing the same thing. And I was just listening to this record on repeat and then I ran into him. But I just remember it being a very profound summer for me. And then meeting Paul, who later on, obviously, you know, I'd run into again and he would join the band. It was, you know, a big moment. Um, but I also, I think it was the, the, and I think during the summer, I started writing songs that would become, you know, the first songs I would write for Interpol. Were you a Fugazi fan before that record or was that sort of your gateway for them? No, no, no. I was a, I was a fan beforehand, and I was even a fan p before Fugazi. You know, it's like as a, I moved to to America to Washington D.C. In fact, where you know they're you know where they're from uh, when I was eleven years old, and so and then I was already you know I had two older brothers who were you know very punk rock like kids who you know um, you know kind of lived and died by music. It was something you wore in your sleeve, you dress apart, and. And then, you know, in, in that part, because um, I, I lived in England till six and France till I was 11. And uh, um, and just seeing my brothers who would dress as part and so forth. And it was a little bit like, well, if you're going to dress that way and walk down the street at that time, it was almost provocative to people who weren't like minded, you know, in that, in that, in, in certainly in France and in, in, in London in that sense. So to me, it was like, wow, you know, it was sort of, it was a serious thing. Music was a serious thing and powerful thing. And it is to this day, you know, and an emotional thing. And, um, and, but then when I moved to DC, you know, I became like a skater. I was trying to assimilate act, you know, to, to a new country, new culture, new language, and have my own thing. And I would, you know, so there's plenty of things I took from my brother's influence and so forth. But living in DC and, and discovering, you know, bands on on the label that, you know, Discord, uh that Fugazi put out records, Discord and so forth was a big influence. Maybe like a like a moment of pride being like this label, which is incredible and innovative and different is from Washington DC and you know something that I could grab onto but then it just hit it resonated really in my core but there's 
it's a really hard thing for me to pick one song from Fugazi. But to this day, like for instance, Public Witness Program, I listen to it, you know, usually on my way to a show, on my way, like 45 minutes before we're, I, you know, we're about to play. It's something that sitting in the car, you know, getting ready to, you know, arrive at the venue, it's something that kind of gets me going. It's like part of like, an order of tracks that I go through, you know, like that usually just still resonate in the same and very similar way that, uh, as per what I was trying to explain, you know, from when I was, you know, soon, you know, around the era when I met Paul and so forth, it's how it hits that same chord, that same sort of emotional chord in me, you know? You know, we had, uh, Ian on the show uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to do justice to what he actually said, but you know, something you said, um, uh, connected to that, that idea that, you know, uh, this idea of, of punk or whatever it is that Fugazi was supposed to represent is not um, about the way you dress or, you know, um, uh, you know, playing music a certain way, even it's, it's about that creative spirit and like trying new things, you know, I'm paraphrasing what he said wildly, but um, you know, and if you, if you take it that way, I mean, you know, uh, uh, the sort of thing that they did and the sort of things that they did, the innovations, you know, musical and otherwise that they brought to what they did, um, you know, uh, just sticks right in line with what they started out to do originally. You know, it's all part of a piece. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it, no, it does. And that's something that I very, you know, something that I thought of in, in, in similar terms all the time. It was not like about saying, I mean, what minor threat they were still in high school or around that time or just out of high school when it started. So Fugazi is like night and day from minor threat as far as like aesthetics, but at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not far reaching that it's, just, you know, it has like Ian was in that band and so forth, or, you know, some of the other members were in, in other bands and they just kept moving forward. It's about moving forward. It's about progression and so forth and, and an openness. And, and, uh, and I think to me, it was something that I really, I like, I never aspired to be like in a, play as fast as you can hardcore band but there was something about like fugazi where it's like you know it's like there's flavors from so many different types of music from dub and so forth and it's about just kind of reacting to each other and it's about people maybe i mean i'm not saying this is what fugazi is about but it's, these are things that i took um you know kind of reacting to each other someone does one thing another person does another thing which became something from listening to like this song and so forth that I was like, okay, imagining as far as what kind of band that I wanted to be in. I'd already just like, actually that same summer that I met Paul and that I was listening to this when I was in, in still at university, I had recorded a demo where I played all the instruments and uh, except for the drums and I sang, but you know, and it turned out pretty close to how I imagined it. And I was pleased with it, but it, it's not what I wanted. That's not, I realized, okay, well, this is cool, but this is, I want something that is, a, the, the end result is something unpredictable from the, you know, the initial one. You know, I wanted something like, wow, how did we end up here? And to this day, I can say that this is kind of what Interpol actually is. It's like, I might come in with a song and it might be like this, but by the time everyone's added on their, you know, like their, their pieces, there's been a reaction 18 times over. Maybe Paul's reaction to my initial song but then sam has a nash reaction to what paul did and then so forth and back and forth and then becomes something new and fresh every time and to me that's like it's a very it's a you know i when we started I, you know or at the time that i met paul's i couldn't even find anyone to play drums or like sing so it's a very it's an ambitious sort of design but ultimately this is what the you know i did find those like-minded musicians and so forth and this is to this day this is why we're still advanced because we still have this sort of chemical kind of reaction to each other and it's like the end result is different than you know the 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 
the the the early ideas that I'm actually introducing, and it's exciting and and, and unpredictable. But um, yeah, now this is the thing. And to this day, I can listen to public witness program. And I still don't know how they put this together, and I still kind of want to imagine like this moment when they decided to do this little like single note guitar, very melodic moment. Like, how did they get to this? And I just imagine someone just went to that way and they're like, oh yeah, let's go this way and so forth. And I just opened up. And then just in general, that band where there's just the less is more thing is something that they do to, you know, great results in their entire catalog or, you know, just finding rather than have all these like uh, things that make it easier, just trying to be, you know, there's moments in their pieces of music where unless you seem live, you may never guess how they did it. But there's like they'll hold, you know, a note will be hit and then they'll use their volume notes to bring up the sound and let it come and go versus like a plethora of pedals. And I got to see them live several times and then you'd see it's like, oh, that's how they did it. You know, just just doing finding innovative ways and, you know, and not to get great results. And um, to this day, it's probably the best band I've ever seen live. It, uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about with this, you, you talked about listening to that over and over and over again. And this is something I've thought about in terms of my own listening, and it's come up on the show before too, is, you know, from what I know about you, you would have been like late teens, uh, early 20s when this record came out. And, you know, in a, in a different time and maybe at a different age, you do have maybe that obsessive relationship with music. You know, you listen to the same, when something grabs you like that, you, you know, you listen to the same thing over and over again, like every day um, for, you know, sometimes a long time. And I, you know, there are certain records I have that relationship with. I wonder, especially in this age of plenty with streaming and things like that, where you can literally listen to anything at any time, you know, if you subscribe to that, um, do you still have that relationship with records uh, sometimes, certain records? Yeah, I mean, I still have it with this one, for instance, and and uh, I do. It's like become a thing where you just like the fact that this, you know, listen to this record for decades, I can say now. And I still put it, we played a show Saturday night in Los Angeles and I put it on before I went to the show. You know, it has that and it hits that similar thing that I, it's almost like it hits a memory, you know, the same other and an emotional memory at that in the sense of like, I remember exactly how I the feeling is the same as it felt then as it does now. And I do have that where you get big, you know, this obsessive thing where it's like a, it's not even upset to me. It's not even, it's definitely not, not you know, there was never like an analytical thing. It's like an emotional thing that it hits like a com like a comforting thing. And I still have that where it's like, uh, yeah, it makes you as a kid, when you have these kind of, I think like interactions, it's, um, it makes you feel maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe like less alone or more powerful or more like, you know, emotionally understood or something or, or uh, it makes, I don't know what it is. It's just, or maybe like some, just something, it, you know, I just have like really fond memories of putting headphones on and walking around, you know, the streets as a teenager or whatever. And there's something about it, it makes you feel a little bit better at the very least. The second song Kessler chose as essential to his formation as an artist was Pick Up the Dub by Tapazuki. Yeah. 
Yeah, Tapazuki. It's it's a uh, um, you know I had to pick a song, but it was more to do with this record per se. There used to be this this record store in in New York City in in the ninety late nineties. I don't know when it started. I don't know when it closed. Um, called Jammyland, and it really focused on dub and reggae, like a big emphasis on dub too, which was. Obviously, you would never find that in this day and age because who can afford New York City rents and do something like this? But was, I don't. They might have had some CDs, but it was predominantly vinyl. I mean, at least that's what I was buying, and um, it was just such a cool place. And it was like I didn't know like I was going to have a visceral reaction to 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 dubs in such a like strong way. Like re reggae, in in you know, depending on obviously, it's a very very wide jar and it's like you can't just say i like reggae i don't like i mean you can but like that's not you know what i mean I, i'd say it's not very specific and i don't think it's quite just but there's something about dub and when i kind of just fell into this without even knowing what it was it just it just resonated in such a strong manner just the the production of it the studio effects of it just it's like a whole different universe i didn't even understand any of it but i just reacted to it emotionally and just also just like in uh just it just felt like the coolest music in the world to me. There's something about it. I just remember, and I would go to this store all the time and just like make discoveries. And, you know, they had record player set up so you could just go through and just like, you know, you'd ask them for recommendations, but like, oh, have you checked this one out? Have you checked that one out? And then you could go there. And then I, when I picked up this record, I just, it just hit something. I'm like, kind of what I've been always looking for. And I just, um, and it had like, it's such a complete album. It just, and it's like, uh, uh, so I, I don't know, I think from a production standpoint, I started thinking about it a little bit, which is sort of the, you know, has like like great moments of reverb and echo, but not because of studio trickery, but studio trickery from like a hands-on experience. I don't remember when this record was made. I'm assuming it was like sometime in the 70s, um, but like less to do with like a digital sort of interface and so forth. I'll just put this here and I'll do that more. It's like someone in the studio and being a little bit like a scientist, you know, and creating this thing. And then you have maybe a different element to the track where there's like, one rhythm is like really going kind of keeping a pretty fast tempo. The other one's super laid back at all at the same time. And then, you know, a release of like an echoey kind of vibe. It just felt like the most, the ultimate music and, and, um, and something that just was hitting my core. And I love this song. Like I can put it every time I hear it, it just puts stops in my track and puts me in the right place and the right frame of mind. It's like, and it's, there's a relaxation to it. And, uh, and it's, it's not, um, and nothing is forced upon, you know, about this song. It just feels like it had to be this way and it just kind of everything fell in place, sort of like in a really natural, uh, you know, moment. And uh, um, yeah, and I also, it has a kind of like a false start to it. It starts one way and then all of a sudden, you know, a bass line drops in and it takes like a little bit of a coolness, meanness kind of moment and drop and then st it stays into that pattern. And there's just something about, yeah, just really like I love. It. And then uh, I would say there's elements of this on my wish, I mean, in my, you know, the back of my mind in Interpol at times, like there's a song of ours called Narc. And then we have a breakdown between Paul and I playing guitar where we do this like upstroke pattern that is definitely for me, like influenced from like dub. It doesn't sound like anything like dub. I'm not saying it's just more within this pattern moments. Like we had a nice little dub moment and it just makes me really happy, you know? You know, I, I was curious uh, when this popped up on your list. I mean, I, I love that as well. Well, first of all, let me ask, um, at what point in your life and musical development did you did you start getting really interested in dub? I mean, I think I think probably before Interpol put out any records, for sure, before we were signed. I would say like probably when I was like early 20s. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how it came across my periphery. I don't know if it was like, 
I heard one thing and someone says something, you know what I mean? Like at that, like word of mouth was more predominant. I think in those days you were less, you know, you had to fight a little bit to, you heard something somewhere or someone played it. You had yet to fight a little bit to kind of find it and so forth. There was like, the easy answers weren't, you know, so easy to come by. You couldn't just be like, oh, let me Google this, you know, or so forth. It was more of like, maybe you heard it once and never heard it again, but then maybe by chance you would actually be like somewhere else. And then you hear it and then you're able, you know, a second time, you, you know, and then you'd be able to ask someone and figure it out. Um, so it was probably some, that kind of experience. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, but it just really, when I found it, it was kind of like, it was really, it wasn't lost upon me that it was such a visceral reaction in a way, for instance, that reggae has never you know, has never had that hold on me. Obviously, again, like it's a, you know, it's a very wide statement because reggae is such a vast genre, like a type of music and like, what do you mean by reggae or this and that? But it never, it never, it just never has. And I mean, and there are reggae songs and, and that are, you know, albums that I love, but dubbed to this day when I hear it, just like, it's like, yes. It's like definitely if I have to pick one, I think if I have to pick one, genre music it's going to be for you know and like move to you know an island for the rest of my life like a desert island kind of genre it's going to be uh, it's going to be dubbed You're listening to Essential Tremors. After the break, we'll hear more about our guests' essential songs. The final piece of music Kessler chose as being crucial to him was Yellow Calks by Aphex Twin. So Apex Twin, this record, uh, yeah, no, Apex Twin, I, yeah, I guess it's Yellow Calx. It's not like it's like, a, a, I don't say this title very often out loud, but this record in general is from the Richard D. James record. And I was working in a record store in New York City at that time, and um, it's no longer there, like, like a lot of things in New York City. But, uh, um, and I was kind of crazy. His pre previous record was I Care Because You Do, and there was a song on that album called Alberto Balsam or something like that. And it was like, you know, it was, a, it was, I never heard a piece of electronic music quite like this, where it was clearly a song, there was a verse, there was a chorus, there was a change, it was really, but very melodic and a rhythm that it just wasn't, you know, there wasn't much precedence for it at that time. So I was just really obsessed with that track. But when Richard, the Richard D. James record came out, the whole album was like so complete, so cohesive. And I never heard, uh, and so melodic, and then I never heard like beats that were of that approach. Now there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, it's hard to go back and 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 uh, and talk about this. By the time there was nothing that sounded like this album, it was kind of mind blowing. It was like he created with this album, like a new genre of electronic music. I mean, you can't even say just like left field electronic. I don't even know how to, you know, contextualize this, but no one did beats the same way where you had like, 
these gitzy kind of crazy rhythmic beats. But then the, on the on the top line of it, the melodic elements of it, they were songs and they're really melodic and orchestral, memorable, emotional, bizarre, strange, pushing it, sometimes aggressive. Um, but I, you know, it just kind of blew my mind. And I saw it was really addictive to me. And I just kind of, and it sort of opened me up to the extent that I was, I was uh, so at, at, at uh, school and I was clear, you know, I was like playing song, writing songs on guitar and so forth, but it made me go like, do I want to try to actually make electronic music instead? And I started taking like, what is probably now like sort of like, you know, old school kind of, you know, electronic music classes or like how to record this kind of stuff, which I'm not really a computer person. So you wouldn't have to do any kind of, uh, too much headspace into trying to be creative. It sort of takes me out of the game. But ultimately I was really like so inspired by by what I was hearing from this album, this track in particular. But I just, you know, I kind of wanted to be go down. Maybe I was like, maybe, you know, rock music is not my path. Maybe I want to actually be making music more of this nature or, you know, um, but I didn't, you know, I kind of more at the end of it, I just took the the inspiration of the the, the sensibility of, of this track and of this album in particular and kind of applied it to more just, you know, I think just writing songs on the wider spectrum. But this song is like, it's got this, it's it's melodic. It's 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 got a, still to this day, it's very timeless or time. I've been saying that word a lot, so I don't mean to overuse it, but it's got this element, which is difficult to have. Like I think in this kind of, in electronic music where it's not dated, it still feels like really forward thinking to this day. And it's been, what, thir you know, almost 30 years that it came out, this album, this song in particular. It has also something that is kind of like it, it, this emotional quality that is actually a little bit heartbreaking too. It actually, you know, when I listen to it, it kind of, there's something about it that, you know, it's, 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 it wrenches you a little bit, or for me at least that, um, yeah, I don't know. There was something when I heard it for the first time, there's no, I never had the experience listening to electronic music. You know, I was, uh, I, and I really was actually at that time, I was both, I was into both worlds. I would go to raves. I was like really into like electronic music. I would go to like, uh, um, I even kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, so to me, it was just something about it just kind of really opened my spectrum as far as what is possible in, in music as a, as a whole. Well, you know, it's funny. I think you probably had an experience similar to, well, I can't say a lot of folks, but I think that um, one of the good things that happened during the nineties was that, 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 um, people were opened up to a lot of different types of sounds. And even though, you know, guitar, uh, guitars and rock music sort of uh, um, reclaimed its place in the aughts, um, it wasn't quite the same thing, you know, and there were these other things threaded through it. Um, and, you know, I mean, Interpol was, was, was part of that. So, um, I mean, I guess, you know, something like the White Stripes was pretty much like old rock and roll come back anew, but there were all these other bands that were bringing all sorts of other things to it and that might not have happened. You know, uh, there were all these stories for a while that, you know, kids aren't these days aren't buying guitars, they're buying turntables and samplers. Right. And, you know, maybe, you know, after a while they were buying both or something like that. I don't know. That's corny and reductive probably. But, uh, um, but yeah, I think that good things happen because you and 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 you know some others uh, had that widening experience of of not listening to um, um, I don't know guitar solos for a few years. Does that make sense? 
It doesn't to me. It's like also, but you know, it's like the the. I mean, guitar solos. It's like I would even you can rope all these songs together that we've been speaking about. They're all around the same a similar time in my life, and so like the, this Aphex Twin song is around the same time that I was pretty crazy about the the Fugazi song. Um, you know, just being open to stuff, not being like I like this type of music. Just being open, and you know, and I would say that both these tracks are you know they're very they're kind of within their time frames, like kind of innovative, mind blowing and, and just like very, very different than their peers. And also very unforced, very natural, just very sort of, just they're both very inspired. And I think that kind of, those things are, um, you, I think a listener, if it resonates, you, you can feel that you can feel that this is like, these are inspired moments. And I would say, you know, and I, yeah, I think they actually have a lot in common in some ways, like both the FX Twin Song and, and the Fugazi, they sound nothing alike, but there's just something about that being in kind of like an uncharted territories and, and just, uh, and just doing things that feel, you know, um, sincere, innovative, exciting to you and, and, and expressive in a way, emotionally expressive as well, that this, there's a, there's something very truthful about that. And I think when you, when you just follow those sort of, that that kind of um i don't know that sort of that 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 procedure then you're just like i don't know you're you're yeah i just feel like there's something about that that i've even taken in the sense that like within interpol there's things about this is like when we're writing music we never think about the audience we never think about well i hope people like this well do you think this will work then maybe they, you know we're not we're thinking we have to please ourselves first and foremost we're in a room and there's enough to react to each other as far as ideas and so forth that the idea is to basically, you know, if we to to please ourselves in that room to be on the same page or not be on the same page, but try, but try to have like kind of a, a way we want to go with this piece of music. But if we are by, by the conclusion of the song, we're all like very, very excited. And we're, you know, we're really like pretty positive about this. And this is what we want to express. And after that, you just have to kind of feel that, well, others will hopefully have this a similar reaction, which is kind of like what happened with our first record. That's, you know, these are things that you know are true. Like these are things that, this is how we know how to make music. And, and I think when you take away from that and you start thinking about whether this is going to work, whether people are going to, you know, if this piece of music that you're working on is going to resonate with others, I think you're, t you're watering it down. Maybe you're potentially watering down a shed because it's like, there's something about that. It's a bit of a guessing thing and you're taking it further away. Ironically, maybe than what people might actually really want, because what, what they really want is kind of what you, you know, what led you to, to the, you know, to this process in the first place, you know, to, to the, the first thing that you put out there and to what they reacted in the first place. So it's a, um, a bit of a tangent, but I do think it all relates to it. I think past being passionate is, is, a you know, I think it's important. And I think we're still a band today because we're pretty passionate about what we do and, or, or passion is like an important element that needs to, you need to, it's not like you need to talk, you know, if you feel in the room, but the pro, you know, when we're making our, our latest record, we're all very passionate about what we're doing about, you know, what we want to, you know, how we want it to like turn out. Like it need, we need to feel this visceral reaction to, we need to, we're passionate about making the best as we can make it. And you, you know, and to do that, you just, you have to become more and more emotionally con connected to what you're doing. You really have to feel it. And I think, yeah. And this is why we're still the band today, you know, cause there is like that little bit of like that desire that it's not even like a desire that need, like it just needs to be there. If it's not there, then, I don't, you know, I don't know why we're doing this. And it's clearly, it was very much part of the process when we're making this record. And it comes out not in ways of just how you recording, you have to record with passion and so forth, but you also have to fight for your ideas of passion. You have to be, 
you know, and, 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 and that doesn't mean like fighting together and so forth. It's just sometimes it's, you know, it takes a minute to be like, well, what does the song really want to say? Or is the song doing the thing that we want it to do? You just really, I think really had that feeling and that feeling becomes that you're seeking is a similar one that you felt like in, you know, in the early days of the band or, 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 you know, that you feel when you're listening to some of the tracks that we've been discussing today, it's like, you have to, you know, those, those, the way that they resonate with you, it's like, you felt this, like this passion for that music and that emotional kind of connection. And I feel like that's like, it's important when you're making albums, you know, when you're making music. This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.